Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornshai. Well, brother, it's good to see you again this week. And uh, we've got, I think, a topic that is near and dear to both of our hearts and one that I think is uh, needed to be talked about in our current climate for sure. Yeah, I agree. I I actually, the, the last couple of evening services that we've had at our church, this has been the center point of discussion in, in our own um, Bible bulletins on uh, on Sunday mornings when people come in. I've got a little section there explaining what biblical counseling is and is not, and that ended up sparking some discussion in our two evening services, which are more of a Q and A format. But it indeed, is it's a hot topic. Um, it's one that I think a lot of people are um, not well educated on, um, but one in which uh, has been sorely lacking, and and that's really the topic of biblical counseling. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm reminded of a couple of conversations I've had over the years uh, with a couple of presidents of some Bible colleges who, when we talked about the efficacy of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, and, you know, the fact that we don't need worldly psychology, uh, just how mind blown they were at that comment. And, and yeah. these were presidents of, you know, Bible colleges. Um, and, and you would think that, you know, someone in that position would have a, a greater understanding. And so I don't think it's any surprise when we come down uh, right from those kind of positions. We have Christians who just aren't really sure what to think. Um, and we've kind of created, you know, really a society in the in, in at least in Western church world, where if you um, you, you know if you have a spiritual problem, if you can't pray, if you um, you know aren't memorizing your Bible, you you go to your pastor. But if you're depressed, or if you have anxiety, or whatever else you might be dealing with, uh, you you run to you know a psychologist or a, a counselor outside of the church. That's sort of the environment we've created. I think over the last you know decade and a half or or maybe more. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's it's odd because what we've done, and and I get it because. The, the culture is very strong in terms of its belief in psychology and, and mental health. And even on Twitter, I know when the topic comes up, there's uh, typically a number of Christians that take offense and, and jump in and, and really kind of defend the mental health profession and whatnot. Um, it, it, but it, it's it's interesting to me that people have, maybe maybe it's just in this age, maybe it's been in every age, but they, they treat Bible study and, and learning the word as if it's disconnected from the way we live. Mm, and it's yeah. not. It's completely connected. And I'm not just talking about exercising spiritual disciplines, but I'm talking about taking the worldview that is given to us in the scriptures. And by the, by the way, when I say worldview, <clears throat> your worldview matters completely. Yeah. Um, when we say the Bible is perfect in all that it says, that goes back to Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. That goes to John 3.16, that God, God the Father sent his son into the world, that if we believe we will have eternal life. Um, that's Romans 3, that teaches us that no man seeks after God, that we're all sinful, we, we, we all turn, have turned aside and rebelled against him. The worldview that we operate from should be coming from the Bible, but there is a competing set of worldviews, and it's not just one, it's many worldviews yeah. within the world that compete for our attention. And we as believers have taken in a lot of those worldview assumptions, those presuppositions without even realizing it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so we're starting, uh, you know, with the premise that scripture is sufficient, right? It, we say that if we believe that, I think a lot of uh, believers would acknowledge that to be true. You know, if we say, do you believe the Bible is sufficient? They'll say yes. Uh, but then when we get down to how that functions, uh, or, you know, how we function with that in our lives, I, I think we start to see some disconnect between what we profess and what we really live. And I think that's where we find maybe our worldview in, in a lot of cases is more humanistic, more worldly, and less biblical. Um, and, and we see that in where we run to when we have problems, right? Uh, do we run to the church? Do we run to the pastor? Do we run to the elders? Or is our response, oh, I need medication. Oh, I need counseling. Um, and, and we'll talk about medication and counseling and those things. We're, we're certainly not saying there's never a need. Um, I, I take ibuprofen when I get a headache, right? And, and you probably take something right. too. But I want to yeah. start you know, this conversation with the foundation principle that scripture speaks to its own sufficiency and it speaks clearly to that. And so we have to start with that when we deal with all the rest of life, right? So we know 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Let me just read that. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, this is the important part, verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I think in some translations, it even says adequate, but the, the word there in the yeah. Greek doesn't mean adequate like what how we would use it. It doesn't mean it's just right. enough, right? It, it right. means it is wholly and entirely complete in every way. And so, I, I think this was the ESV, which I like that translation better here. Um, it, scripture is sufficient, right? And yeah. so, if that is God's testimony of his own word, and, and we say we believe in the sufficiency, then our first question when we have struggles in life ought to be, what does the Bible say about this? Um, right. And then we can talk about the difference between explicit and implicit, right? Um, where the Bible speaks clearly and where the, the Bible speaks through, um, you know, just in, in its entirety. Yeah, and just to add to that, a great, uh, great verse reference, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And some might argue that in that passage, when Paul says the man of God, um, that phrase is specifically referring to um, someone who fills an office, like a pastor, preacher, prophet, whatnot. But I would just counter to that, that if it's true for the man of God, why wouldn't it be true for anyone else, right? I mean, you're talking about someone who's actually ministering the word to the people, and if that has to be sufficient for him, then it absolutely is sufficient for everyone else. Um, but I would also add uh, even Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, mm -hmm. when we think about, yeah. for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, as a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And we understand those two verses repeating over and over again, it's all God, it's not you. But verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship mm. created in Christ Jesus for good works. So, we are saved. We understand that good works don't save us, but rather we are saved for the purpose of good works. But it goes on to add that God, these good works, God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So, we were yeah. saved specifically to walk in good works. And the word for walk, it is, it's talking about how we live. It's how, how we conduct our lives. And that's really the central commandment to the entire book of Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 1. I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by 
by which you have been called. So as Christians, we are called to live a Christian life. And the way we live, the way we operate, it's all according to God's purpose created for us even before the foundation of the world. And just as you mentioned from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, the word of God makes us sufficient for those works. So in terms of our spiritual walk, we are literally we are we are literally lacking nothing in terms of what we need. Now, <clears throat> you bring up a good example. If you have a cold, if you have a flu, if you have certain sicknesses, if you get cancer, there are treatments that you're going to need from a medical standpoint. Um, and the scriptures are not going to inform that kind of treatment. That's not what we're talking about here. We're yeah. talking about the good works that God has created for you to be able to walk in them. Yeah. It, however, the scripture does speak to how we deal with a lot of those yes. issues when we need right. medication, right? I, I mean, just look at you know the person with cancer, for instance. Yes. Um, how they respond to it. The, the issue isn't the treatment. Uh, you know, for folks, right? There yeah. either there's treatment available or there or there is not. Um, the issue is how they respond to that, which speech the which the scriptures speak to. But I mean, you've got other references, just as you say. I mean, think of um, Ephesians uh, one verse three. It says that we've been giving g- given every spiritual blessing, right? There's nothing yeah, that we're lacking. Right. There's nothing that God hasn't given us. And if those things are true, or rather I should say, since those things are true, um, then we have to come to the conclusion that when we are affected um, in our mind, in our person here on this side of glory, God's word is adequate to deal with and speak to those issues. Second uh, Peter 1, you know, 3 through, I don't know, 8, 9, 10, 11, um, also speaks to that. In fact, the, the first part of that says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Um, yes. you, you can go on through the rest of that, and it gives a sense of, you know, God's not given, he, He's not kept anything from us uh, for us to be, to, to walk whole and healthy here in the midst of a fallen world, right? We've still got to deal with sin. We still deal with temptation, but God's word is adequate um, to help us walk through and respond to those things well. We don't need the world's understanding or, you know, guessing, right? Uh, because the, the world doesn't understand humanity from a perspective of, you know, God being the creator. And that makes a big difference, right? The difference between going to a worldly counselor um, versus going to a biblical counselor or your pastor or elders uh, makes a huge difference because of their premise and how they understand human life and human creation. Yeah, that is absolutely critical. I mean, in Mark chapter 7, when the Pharisees confronted Jesus Christ about why his disciples don't wash their hands, he revealed to them that you guys um, are just following traditions and elevating them to be the doctrines of God. And then he goes on to say that it's not what's outside you that defiles you, but it's what comes from the inside. Now, he wasn't talking about physically. Uh, I mean, obviously, if we eat dirty food, that that could have an impact on making us sick. But he was talking about the spiritual condition. Mm -hmm. It's what comes from the heart that defiles you. And so, what you mentioned is absolutely foundational, the biblical view of humanity. And, and that's the fact that God 
reveals to us that we are depraved in our nature. We are sinners by nature. We are born that way. And one of the things, if you're listening to this and you're, you're not sure how to respond and, or you're feeling uh, you know, this kind of angst building up in you to want to argue against us with this, just, just hear us out for a moment. Because when you look at the worldviews that are pushed forward by psychology, in fact, even within psychology, they don't have a consistent worldview. You've got a bunch of competing different worldviews, um, but what they all, almost all share in common, all the ones that I've seen, mm-hmm. is that they all make an assumption that man's problems don't start within the heart, but it comes from the environment or the upbringing. It's something that is put into him rather than taken out of him. And that's exactly the point that Jesus was arguing against in Mark chapter 7, that out of the heart comes all of these problems that lead to strife, anger, murder, deceit, so on and so forth. And so, it's a heart issue. And even if, let's say for a moment, Let's just say for a moment that there were certain issues that maybe a psychologist were only equipped to um, handle. Now, I would disagree with that, but let's say for a moment there were maybe a small subset of issues that they could specifically deal with. Well, here's the problem. When you have issues that are stemming from your own sinful nature, they have, they, they have no ability, zero ability to correctly assess that issue. Mm-hmm. And what you, they will often tell you um, or what they will often prescribe to you, whether it's psychologists or even psychiatrists, um, oftentimes medications, medications or, or certain yeah. kinds of uh, therapy that's going to be unbiblical because they lack the biblical worldview. And so, we understand if we understand the Bible, the Bible is not silent on people going through symptoms of what we would call depression or bipolar disorder, yeah. uh, those kinds of things. But it does require you to know the Bible, to know the scriptures, to read it, to understand it. And when you do, you'll have the full counsel of God and, and you'll be able to reach into the many examples we have throughout scriptures to show us what the people of God did when they went through those kinds of experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you talk about the many competing methods, you know, in the world of psychology. I I think uh, if I remember correctly, it was something like it was either 300 or 450, more than 300 or 450 different uh, methodological approaches to counseling. So, I, I mean, if you just reason through that fact. Now, now these you can find, they're listed. Um, so, let's just say it's the 350 rather than the 450. 350 different methods. What does that mean? It means that um, the, the world's perspective, it, it, they can't even agree with one another. And, and the reason they can't agree on how to approach someone who needs counseling, who needs wisdom, is because they're all starting from the wrong understanding of humanity. And, and, right. and we will just continue to add different methods. And so, um, th- this is why you can go to a counselor um, you know, in one part of town, and then you can go to a counselor on another part of town, and they can tell you contradictory things. Um, you know, another big reason that I, you know, let me say, I, I'm, I'm very bold in saying that we absolutely unequivocally do not need worldly counseling um, to deal with man's issues. Now, I, I say that, and I don't say that making uh, folks who are involved in that enemies or anything like that. Uh, but the reason is because you can't help someone if you start with the wrong understanding of mankind. And the premise of worldly psychology is that the answer to your problem is within you, right? It is found within yourself somewhere deep down. um, And, but that is entirely antithetical to scripture, right? The problem to the issues of humanity or or the solution to the problems 
uh, within humanity yeah, are outside. found with outside ourselves mm-hmm. in Christ and in Christ yeah. alone. And if that's true, and since it is true, then you cannot be helped by a worldview that says you have the answer. In effect, right? And I think it's intentional, but in effect, worldly psychology makes you God and makes you the answer to your own problem. Yeah. And, and so you don't need God. You don't need um, help with you know, your sin nature. And that's really what it boils down to. Our problems all boil down to the fact that we have a sin nature and we live in a fallen world. And if you eliminate those two truths, then there's no way you can adequately come to help uh, in, in a counseling session. Yeah, the fact that we live in a fallen world is is huge. That that is such an important part of this, because many people and and you had mentioned before that there may be physical issues that are physical in its nature or physical in its cause, but it doesn't mean there's no spiritual element to it. So once again, if someone has cancer, how are they going to deal with that cancer? It's just like <clears throat> I know of families whose houses have been burned down by fires, and I know we're not talking about uh, mental illness here, but their house is burned down by fire, but they respond to it by saying, "Well, my eternal home is still." intact, right? Because they have a Mm -hmm. biblical worldview. They understand that. And they're able to cope with those kinds of situations um, in that way. Um, But we we understand that in this world, um, the the, the fact um, that that, uh, we are in a fallen world is crucial because whatever physical issues we're going through, they may not go away. Um, There may not be a diagnosis for them. And there are many such diagnoses. Let me give you some examples. ADD, now known as ADHD, um, there is no test for that. There, there is no medical test that shows whether a child has ADD or ADHD. That's simply diagnosed subjectively by observing a person. Um, depression. There is a lot of people, and this is going to shock some of our listeners, it shocked even people um, in my own church. Um, d- depression is often attributed to a chemical imbalance. That has never been proven. That is, a, that is strictly a theory. There is no way, at least right now, that they know of that they can actually measure these chemicals to see whether there's an imbalance or not. Yeah. And even if they could, they, they can't prove that that is the cause rather than the outcome of something else. And so, there, there's no proof for that. Um, let me give you another diagnosis, uh, fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia is just a catch-all diagnosis when you're suffering from intense pain, but the doctors have no, no idea where it's coming from. So my point is this, that we have a lot of physical conditions that may not be diagnosed ever, um, or they may be diagnosed after our lifetime or sometime much later. Um, but the believers of God have had to deal with these kinds of issues throughout their lives. And the question is, do you have what you need in order to glorify God in your walk, in your spiritual walk? Yeah. And the answer is always yes, regardless of what situations you're going through, no matter what physical infirmities you're facing. And then, you know what? I've got elderly couples at my church who can barely get out of bed. They're, they're homebound. You know, I, I, I get it. I'm not expecting them to go out and do door-to-door evangelism or, or to take part in, in our moving yeah. ministry where we help people move from one place to the other. You know, if God has limited you physically, he has done so, but it doesn't mean that he has not provided you the means to glorify him spiritually. Yeah, I think you said something very important there. If God has limited your ability to move, right? And, and that comes from the understanding of God's sovereignty. And a lot of the issues we have right? Uh, the, the reason we run to the world is because we don't understand God's sovereignty. I mean, you go back in scripture, and I, I can't remember if, was it the, uh, the man who was deaf and Jesus heals him? 
um, right? And he says mm-hmm. that this was to glorify God. I mean, that was the, the man born that way was a work right. of God. Right. Now, we, we have a hard time, especially I think as Westerners with any kind of theology of suffering, right? We, we assume that if there's any, what we would perceive to be suffering, if there's any limitations uh, that's, you know, uncommon to man, we would assume that that's evil and that's bad. But here we have an instance in Scripture where God caused the man to be death um, so that he would be ultimately glorified. We would understand that all sickness, all disease is ultimately under God's sovereign reign. Now, we're not saying that God sins. We're not saying that God does evil, um, but he is sovereign, and he certainly is in control of all, all that. I, another reason, I love the book of Job. Yeah. Um, it, you know, we get sick, and we just assume that, uh, you know, if you're kind of in the more charismatic circles, that it's the devil attacking you, um, or you know, that it's just absolutely outside of, you know, God uh, and, and, and his sovereign plan. But you look at the book of Job and, I mean, really contemplate the level of suffering, just human suffering Job went yeah. through. Right. And, and there are two things that we can say. Um, one, that was absolutely God's good sovereign plan. And two, it was good and right for Job to go through. Yeah. But he had no understanding of that going through. I mean, we get the 35,000-mile uh, view because we're reading it, you know, uh, from, from, from Scripture all that was going on. But Job didn't get to hear the conversation between Satan and God. Uh, um, Job didn't have any of that understanding. And so here, you know, I think of people like Joni Erickson Tata. Right, yeah. who's wheelchair bound uh, after yeah. an accident? I can't remember yeah. what the accident was, but um, you know, read her stuff and her testimony on how her suffering has led her, um, you know, to a greater walk with God, and how you know, sure she'd like to be made whole, but she wouldn't give up her relationship for that. Right, and and so a lot of this is we just want to escape suffering, right? And so uh, we want to escape suffering, and the easiest way is to go the world's route where we can get medicated. Um, We can just kind of have all of these symptoms uh, downplayed or, um, you know, gone away with. It's interesting. You mentioned some of the kind of experimental uh, psychiatric medical treatments. I can attest to that. And I can attest to that personally. Uh, So at one stage, you know, working in a small church, uh, bivocational, I actually worked in the psychiatric unit um, as a psychiatric technician. Now, I, d- I don't know if all of that position everywhere does the same thing, but I can tell you what I did. Um, you know, I spent the majority of the whole day with one-on-one with clients evaluating um, and, and observation what they were doing. And the psychiatrist would read my reports and often assign medication based on those reports. And, and you think, wait, wait, so the psychiatrist didn't spend the, the time with the patient? No, I think if I, I can't remember the time now, but it was something like they had to see them, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 minutes a week, I, a week, right? Uh, they just went based on my reports um, and I, it blows my mind. And so I can tell you that a lot of psychotropic medications that people would take for just various things, whether it's hallucinations, whether it's manic depressive disorder, so-called, whether it's just depression, it's just guesswork. I I mean, really, Um, like like you said earlier, because there's no way to gauge what they suspect 
might be the issue because it's all guesswork. And so we would have guys come in, they would say, the doctor would say, okay, yeah, let's give him, you know, 15 milligrams of this, uh, see if it messes him up or not. And that's hyperbole in my part, but, but, you know, see if he responds well, if he responds negatively, if he responds negatively, we'll decrease the dose to five milligrams. Well, I mean, you're just injecting chemicals into someone's body and basically playing laboratory with yeah. them. Um, and a lot of, you know, psychiatric medicine is just that. It's a practice. Um, so, what we, I think the majority of folks don't know that to start with. And so, right. then you think, well, what about the fact that, okay, well, I don't, I don't need medicine. I'm just, I'm just down and really depressed. I'm a melancholy person. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious, right? I struggle with anxiety. Let's start with that one. And maybe just hit on a couple of general examples. Um, well, first of all, Again, this comes back to the fact that we don't really believe God's word is sufficient, right? Our first response should be, okay, what does the word of God say yeah. to, you know, about this? But let's just speak to that. So anxiety, yeah. Um, yeah, what do you do? Someone comes with anxiety, does God yeah. work speak to that at all or not yeah, really? I mean, and, and that's where we're challenged to um, answer the question, does the Bible practically help us in those situations? And the answer is absolutely yes. I think part of the challenge that we have today is that we have a world that has taken a lot of these um, behaviors, um, these these feelings, these emotions, these uh, these these down seasons, and they've slapped labels upon them. Yep. And so people then go into the scriptures and think the scriptures don't have the answers because we don't have these labels there. Um, there isn't a chapter that talks about um, you know bipolar disorder. There isn't a chapter that specifically mentions depression. Um, but if you read the scriptures, you, you see that it's there. So the the first question um, that I always ask whenever someone, for instance, is feeling anxiety. So you, we're bringing up that example first. Okay, someone's feeling anxiety. Question is, what is it that's making you anxious? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, simple question. And then whatever you find out it is that makes them anxious, then you you dive into that and start to think about, well, what does this say about God? Um, the fact that we know that God is in full control, how, how does that inform this situation? And, and I'll tell you what, the <clears throat> of all the attributes of God, and they're all, all helpful, um, but the attribute of God that I always go to in every single counseling session without fail at some point is always the sovereignty of God. God is in total control. So, what is anxiety? Anxiety is worry about something that's outside of your control. Mm-hmm. You're, you are concerned about something that's outside of your control. Well, the scriptures are not, um, they're, they're not silent on that, right? I mean, Paul Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, um, you know, lift all those things up to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart. And uh, Peter even says to cast all of your anxieties upon God because he cares. And so, we have those examples, but I love this is where I really, really love the Old Testament because the Old Testament, the majority of it is narrative. Mm. And, and so you see a lot of examples of God's people and, and the things that they went through. And think about Elijah. Elijah had that confrontation with the prophets of Baal and he you know, called down fire to light up his, um, his, his offering and then brought the prophets down and, and slew them um, down in the, uh, the nearby river or basin. And then shortly thereafter that, the very next chapter, that'd be 1 Kings chapter 19. What do we see? We see Jezebel now wanting to kill Elijah. And Elijah is so frightened to the point that he runs off into the wilderness and he even wants to die. And then when he finally goes before God, he tells God, look, I'm the only one that's been zealous for you. Everyone wants to kill me. I mean, he's painting this picture that, that he sees this picture that's that's him against everyone else, and, and he can't do it anymore. And, and you know what God responds with? God tells him, you know what? 
Go and anoint the next king of Syria. Go and anoint the next king of Israel. Um, by the way, go and anoint the person who's going to follow in your place as a prophet. And by the way, there are 7,000 people who have not bowed the knees to Baal. Oh, and by the way, I know exactly when each person will die. I know how they will die. And then I, I, I'm in control of all of those details. So in other words, the, the, the kingship and the queenship that Elijah was so frightened of, God said, you know what? I'm sovereign over that. I know who who's going to replace them, and I know how they're going to replace them, and I even know how those individuals are going to die. And God, by the way, when I tell you to anoint the next king of Syria, I'm even sovereign over Gentile nations. And when I say that that I'm going to appoint the the prophet who's going to replace you, and that would be Elisha, I'm even sovereign over your ministry that you think that you're standing alone in. And by the way, you are not alone. There are seven thousand people. So in that case, you know, yeah. Elijah, feeling so much despair and, and anxiety that he wanted to die, ends up going before God in the solution. It wasn't therapy. It wasn't medication. It wasn't self-helps or self-esteem boosters. It was to be reminded that God was, is, and always is in total control. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's a good point. You think of, you know, the fact that he thought he was the only one and God says, no, I have, you know, 7,000 I've kept yeah. for myself. I, I mean, that that's a good reminder to us that a lot of times our problems come from, one, the fact that we want to be in absolute control, right? I mean, I want to be in control of my life, my circumstances, the things that go on around me. Um, and a lot of times, a, a great majority of my stress comes from the fact that I am actually fighting against the sovereignty of God yeah. because there can only be one in control. Um, it, it, you know, and then we can certainly talk about um, our responsibility and our actions. And sometimes we just experience the fruit of our own choices, right? There are consequences to choices and things like that. Oftentimes repentance is needed. Uh, but here, but again, here's the problem. If you're going to, you know, you, you, and, and I, I, I wish pastors would pastors, Stop sending your people to godless, God-hating counselors to deal with issues that Scripture speaks to. Yeah. Um, and, and if you don't have time to deal with that, then you need to bring on more pastors on staff. That's part of our role as shepherds. Um, I, I think I, I have really come to detest sort of the mindset in the church, at least over you know the last you know probably more decade or so. Of this, we need specialized counseling um, within the church because the pastor isn't equipped to deal with it. Uh, if you have and know your Bible, then you're equipped to shepherd your people. That's our job, right? Um, by all means, uh, study, uh, get, get some, you know, learn how to do that well, but we have that. And for folks uh, who are, you know, going to the worldly stuff, I would just say, re remember, when you're going to the world, effectively, you're saying, God has shorted us here. God didn't give us what we need here. Right. Um, the Bible isn't sufficient here. And then my question would be, if that's true, then why follow the Bible at all? Because now you don't know what is and what isn't, right? I mean, you've become the arbiter of right. what's good and what's not good, what is sufficient and what's not sufficient. Now, I know folks don't tangibly think that, right. uh, and maybe that will seem a little harsh, but just, ju just contemplate the reality of that, because that's effectively what we're saying, right? God isn't enough, and so let me go to man-made wisdom. Um, and and you, you know, we talked about before we started uh, just a little bit of 
uh, like the the DSM. If folks aren't familiar with that, it's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Uh, it's sort of just like the book of all kind of descriptions of what we would deem mental disorders, right? Mm-hmm. So every psychologist is familiar with this. Every psychiatrist is, is familiar with this. They've studied it in school. It's what they reference. Um, it, it's sort of like the the counseling Bible, as it were, of the world, right? Yeah. Um, well, he, I've, I've got some, just a, I want to pull up an interesting uh, quote and read it because these are from the guys that if you're not coming to scripture, that you're going to. Um, so right now they're on the fifth edition of this, you know, manual. Uh, the guy who is responsible for writing the fourth edition, Alan Francis, uh, he's an MD. He chaired the task force uh, responsible for it, published in 1994, um, now an emeritus professor at Duke University in Durham. L- listen to this. And, and, and this is from a guy who wrote as responsible for the writing of the last one. He suggests that the changes in the revised DSM-5 apply disease labels to individuals who just may simply be unhappy or offensive, but still normal. Do you get that? Yeah. So, uh, v- very liberal application. So now you may be diagnosed with something that's just totally normal. But if you go to a worldly counselor, you need to understand the only thing they have to reference is this material because they have no foundation for truth um, of how human beings are made and respond to the world around us. So this is what you're getting. He goes on to say that rates of certain psychiatric disorders, including autism and related disorders, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and bipolar disorder have increased more than 20 fold over 20 years. Francis goes on to report to this magazine. He adds that these trends reflect over diagnosis. Do you get that? The guy responsible for writing the fourth edition, acknowledging that we're just overdiagnosing person. Now, let me continue. He goes on to suggest that pharmaceutical industries stand to benefit from the, quote, loose diagnostic criteria set forth in the new DSM-5. You get that? This isn't, you know, some kind of um, conspiracy theory. This is the guy who's responsible for putting together and writing the manual that every psychologist you know, at least in the Western world, probably in the world does study is saying, actually, now big money has come in and has corrupted it. That's a big deal, right? Oh, he goes on to say, and I'll quote, my advice to physicians is to use the DSM-5 cautiously, if at all. Hmm. It is not an official manual. No one is compelled to use it unless they work in an institutional setting that requires it, end quote. You know, the the beauty about the scriptures is that they never change, right? Never change. And when we talk about the DSM now in version five and, and such powerful testimony that you're providing over the man who wrote the version number four of that manual, um, what you see is competing beliefs and worldviews and and how to diagnose these things. And and as the example, I brought up ADD, ADHD. I had someone in my church that asked me about that. Um, He's dealt with that before in his children. And I told him, I said, well, don't take my word for it, but look it up. There's no known scientific way to actually diagnose that. And so, he looked it up. He forwarded me the link, and it was a link to, I think, the Mayo Clinic. And I looked at the link, and lo and behold, I read through it. And what did you say? What causes this? The question is, what causes this? And the answer is, we don't know. 
We yeah. think it might be this. We think it might be that. And and really, they're they're trying to find a. a, a a solution. They're, they're trying to find a source that is outside of the scriptures. Did, yeah. you, did you get that? Outside of the scriptures, something that can be humanistically determined, not something that you need to go to the Bible to determine. So, they will always look for something outside to be able to mm-hmm. explain those kinds of disorders. And you're right, there, there is a big money-making industry. Now, I'm not saying that everyone who's involved in this field is motivated by money. I'm not saying that at all. But we do know that the heart of man, in any place where money can be made, people are going to take advantage of that. And yeah. so, when you're dealing with these industries, and, and by the way, so, even if you're suffering from these kinds of mental conditions and you may have a history where, you know, you found the medication to be helpful, um, maybe there were certain feelings that it helped to suppress. And uh, that's a lot of times the argument I'll get back. You know, I've, I've been yeah. through this here and there and it actually helped. I'm not saying it's not going to make you feel better. But what I am saying is that there is a source to that that's not actually being dealt with. And, and with any kind of medications or diagnoses, the first goal is to figure out what's causing it and and can we take it away? Can, can yeah. we remove whatever it is that's causing it so you don't have to deal with this anymore? If you don't know what's causing it, then all you can do is treat the symptoms. And in some cases, I know people that have been taking a multitude of different medications. Yeah. And, and the problem with medication, I don't even have to, I don't think I have to convince anyone of this. One of the problems with medications, you don't know what the long-term effects of those things are. You know, so you don't know what what you're doing to your body, what the downstream impact is going to be, all those kinds of things. But let me let me just draw upon one example. When I think of Lamentations, you know, the Book of Lamentations, mm-hmm. this is the writing of Jeremiah as he's watching the temple of God getting burned down. Now, Jeremiah has had a ministry where close to fifty years he was calling people to repent, and no one responded. Yeah. He 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 fought through depression throughout his uh, his ministry. At one point, uh, saying that he he doesn't want to even be a prophet anymore, but it's like fire in his bones, and he has no choice um, but to let it out. But in the Book of Lamentations, and especially in chapter three, he describes what is classic depression. Um, he, he says in verse four, he talking about God has caused my flesh and my skin to mm-hmm. waste away. He's not talking literally. He's talking spiritually. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. In dark places, he has made me dwell like those who have been long dead. And he goes on further down. And, and I would encourage everyone here just to read through Lamentations chapter three. Just, just yeah. read through it. I'm just reading a few verses here. Verse, uh, verse 15, he has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with wormwood. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. That, I mean, listen to what Jeremiah is saying. He has no hope. Uh, he's, he's bitter. He, he's depressed. He feels like he's wasting away. But you know what? He doesn't stay there. You see, without knowing God, without understanding God's attributes and his testimonies, Jeremiah would have stayed there and he probably would have gotten worse. And you could easily see this leading to him just taking his own life. But what, what does he end up saying? In verse 20, he says, surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning great is thy faithfulness. And that is exactly where we get the words to great is thy faithfulness. So, what did Jeremiah do in the depths of absolute despair and depression? You know what he does? He reminds himself 
of God's goodness. And we as Christians, that's what we have to do. We, we have to go back to the scriptures. And when we understand the scriptures and we read it and we can see these kinds of accounts from people like Jeremiah or Elijah, we have people we can relate to. And, and there, mm-hmm. there's a certain encouragement that we get when we find someone who's describing what we can relate to and then be able to see what is it that counseled them. Oh, it's the goodness yeah. and the sovereignty of God. And then really when, <clears throat> when I deal with someone who comes in and is suffering from depression, okay, this is not always the case. Sometimes the Lord, for whatever reason, brings you through these kind of just gloomy times. But in every case that I've dealt with, and there have been many, in, in every case I've dealt with, I ask them, when did the depression start and what caused it? And they can, they can point to an event that caused it, and it's right there in that event. It's how they coped with that event mm-hmm. that led to the tailspin. And yeah. so, our coping is off because our view of reality is mm-hmm. off. And so, our goal is to bring you back to reality, be able to see the things through the lens of Scripture. And it is amazing that if you are in Christ and you see things through the lens of Scripture, it will comfort your soul. Mm. And that's great, brother. I mean, you made a good point there, and, and we've referenced this a few times where we talked about how you can't separate the spirit from w- what's going on here. And, and that's basically the problem. Again, um, and, and I can't remember, I don't think it was Freud. I can't remember now who, who it was, but one of the prolific um, you know, psychologists who have kind of helped build the whole foundation of that science, if you want to call it that, um, would it would I mean intentionally said that you know we we cannot and I'll have to look up who this is and maybe you'll know but basically um, said that you know we cannot function and do observation in this area as long as we still believe that uh, attach the spirit of man to what's going on here and so effectively the foundation of what we now have as psychology was based on intentionally ripping apart those two realities the the physical and so you go to the dsm and you need to understand what you're getting you're going to a world system that has intentionally separated the spiritual reality from here on earth right the the physical well you can't do that, right? No one can really do that. We can't separate what is just true. But then secondly, the DSM never, um, it, it never claims to find the source. It is only describing symptoms, right? Yeah. And, right. and that's why they've had to adopt the, well, they don't believe in the spirit. And so they've had to adopt the premise that, well, the answer must be inside you somewhere, Right. You're the you're just listen to this. You're the source of life. You're the source of truth. You're the source of light for your own world. That shouldn't sit right with any believer Mm -hmm. because who's the source of truth? Who's the source of life? Who's the source of light? It's not us, right? Um, and and so you're just going to a worldly source that says, okay, we have no real understanding of how humanity works. We don't actually know what the causes of any of these diagnoses are. Um, so we're just going to try to treat the symptoms uh, based on a flawed worldview. Why would you want to go to that kind of system, right? Whereas we can go to scripture and we have from the source of life himself, right? Um, the, the truth that we need to deal with these things. I mean, you, you mentioned, um, I, I mean, there's so many we can relate to, for instance, if we dealing with what we would call depression, right? I mean, go to David, go to Solomon. I mean, there's just so many. Uh, Psalm 42, 11. Listen, listen to this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil with me? 
hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I mean, this is so much, so many of the Psalms, right? Uh, You find this utter, just dark despair. And, And then you see, right, the solution always is a reminding to look on God, yeah. right? It's a reminding to look on the goodness of God, the promises of God. Um, and and so, Scripture has the answers. Why would we want to go to a system that says, well, divorce your spiritual reality from the physical, right. um, and then let's just treat the symptoms. And so, yes, um, you know, if you want to take medications that just make you a walking zombie, by all means, you can do that. Um, but you're still going to have the issues, yeah. right? You're just limiting the joy of life that you could have here. Uh, and, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to tell anyone to quit um, using medicine if you're on it. But I will tell you that a lot of people taking medicine are doing it without need, um, right? So, you, you get a sore throat, uh, you take some antiseptic. It doesn't, it doesn't deal with the issue. It just keeps you, it just numbs the throat, right? Well, Sometimes we do that, but why go through your whole life as a Christian numb when God has given us everything we need at our disposal to live a full, healthy, godly, productive life here on earth? Why would you make any other choice than that? Yeah, amen and amen to that. And uh, just so everyone knows, I mean, when I counsel people, I never make any kind of um, prescriptions with regards to medications. I don't tell people to get on. I also don't tell people to get off. So if they're on medications, um, I leave it as it is. I want to know about those medications. Um, but often what happens with uh, believers, once they start to see their uh, the, the issues in their life in a biblical perspective and learn how to deal with those things, a lot of times those individuals come to the conviction themselves that they actually don't need those medications. And in those cases where they start to feel that way, hey, go and work with your psychiatrist or your doctor, or whatever, and, and tell them that it is your desire to reduce um, the, the, the dosage and then just start to report back that, hey, I'm still doing doing fine. I'm still doing fine. And eventually just get yourself weaned off of that. Um, but I, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to get into the um, into the shoes of people in the medical field. If there are real physical issues someone is dealing with, maybe hyperthyroid, hypothyroid, whatever it may be. Diabetes. Yeah, diabetes. Uh, those, are, those are things that require real treatments, get them treated, um, but then also have a spiritual outlook on, on what it is uh, that you're going through. And <clears throat> going to psychology, you when we think about the field of psychology, this really started in the 1800s. Um, everyone who's been through psychology understands that Sigmund Freud is the, the forefather of psychology. But um, Nathaniel, you brought up a good point. I mean, these are people that did not believe the Bible. Um, it was a relatively new practice start at that time, seeking to try to explain things, as we have mentioned, outside of what the Bible says. And if we say that these fields have provided um, good purpose to us, or they're helpful, or they're needed in some way, that the problem is this. First of all, the scriptures, once again, spiritually, I think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not have any lacking, yeah. right? <clears throat> and, and so, if we say that somehow these new fields are needed, you have a problem with scripture, but then you also have a problem with the testimony of all of church history going back to the apostolic age. Um, are we saying that they were they they didn't have what they needed to live a God glorifying life until the 1800s when this was yeah. invented? And then on top of that, just from that, there are a multitude of different worldviews that have sprung forth, and so there's a lot of lack of consistency um, in between there. So uh, all that to to say that when you look at this field, um, what you're going to see, as Nathaniel's pointing out, 
You, you have a, a lot of labels, you have a lot of diagnoses, but what you don't have is a real understanding of what's causing it. And, and certainly not an admission that, um, that things could be coming from the scriptures. Now, there's going to be someone out there that's going to say, well, what about Christian psychologists? So we have this field that we refer to as integrationism. There are integrationists, people who are both psychologists as well as Christians. Well, certainly that's better than a full secular um, psychologist, but I would say that those Christian psychologists are at danger of sacrificing or reducing what the biblical worldview says. It's kind of similar to when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and telling them, hey, you're lifting the traditions of men to being like doctrines of God. And that's the, that's the temptation that's going to be there. And I know of very real world examples of Christian integrationists who reject the idea that the Bible can actually help someone going through depression or bipolar disorder. So basically, it's uh, a lot of times it's basically taking psychology and sprinkling some verses on the top of that. At the best, it is people that believe the Bible, but somehow believe that psychology is, is good and helpful as well. But again, you're borrowing from foreign worldviews from people that don't believe the Bible is true. So there's always going to be that conflict. And I would say that you will never go wrong in simply trusting what the Bible says. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, that we think of integrationalists and I, I think, you know, it's one of those things where we have some dear brothers out there who would, would be in that category. And, and I would say that maybe they haven't considered the reality of what you do as an integrationalist, right? So, basically, you say, uh, and, and I, I know I've got to minimize this a little bit, but, um, it, you know, scripture deals with uh, sexuality, uh, but it doesn't deal with manic depressive disorder, right? Or, or whatever the case is. And so, for that, we need to go to the world's understanding because it doesn't deal explicitly with that. I, I would argue two things. One, I would argue that they don't have a very good understanding of what scripture teaches in its entirety, right? Um, you will not find the word Trinity anywhere in the Bible. And yet, it's essential yeah. to understanding right uh, the person work of Christ, the Father, the Holy Spirit. It's taught in Scripture, um, and so as are with many things in Scripture, we won't find the term that we've put to it, but you'll find the teaching. So yeah. one is a lack of biblical understanding. I think two is just a little bit of lack of reason. Right? Um, in, in all practicality, if you say the Bible is not sufficient here, then you've just said the Bible isn't sufficient. You, you, you've yeah. just, right, you've just took the position that assumes that God did not give his people everything he needed, that God, um, you know, purposed to, to cause us to be in lack here. Well, I'm not sure that that's a good God, in fact, I would argue that a, a, a God that intentionally did that is not a good God, right? Mm -hmm. And so, these are things that I just, I, I would say to our brothers who, you know, have no ill will towards them, but think through some of the ramifications, right, um, of, of, of doing that. No, the scriptures are wholly sufficient for us to deal with. And we have the same kind of issue with, um, you know, Christian counselors, right? Um, and, and I think I would say to folks, don't get taken in just because someone uses a little bit of Christian language or just because someone says they're a Christian counselor. Um, I've known more than one personally, uh, folks who went into uh, counseling to get their degrees, who were Christians, who called what they did Christian counseling. And in fact, what they did was worldly counseling. They just said it was Christian because 
they themselves were Christian. Yeah. Uh, but when you listen to the advice, it's just all modern psychology. Uh, it's and not only is it unhelpful, it actually fights against the truths of God, uh, and it creates a conflict in in the very soul of people. Because on one hand, you have a system that is saying you are the source of truth and the answer. But on the other hand, God's truth says, no, he's the source of truth and the answer. And, and you just, you will never have peace torn between those two things. Either God is the source of truth or he's not. Right. Uh, and, and those are some things to consider when we're talking about this counseling. So don't be taken in just because you're told someone is a Christian counselor. You want to know through what worldview uh, they're counseling, right? Is their primary source scripture? Or is scripture just something they're referencing occasionally? It makes a big difference. Yeah, and, and we're really hitting to the reason why we emphasize that scripture as perfect, it's authoritative, it is sufficient. We say that over and over again, and people from the outside or people without uh, much uh, time or experience uh, in dealing with scripture and, and the uh, challenges of the world uh, may not realize that that's a lot more than just doctrine when we say that. That has real-world practical implications right down to how we live our life and how we deal with difficulties in our life. One uh, more thing I'd want to bring up, and you know, we've, we've talked about the depravity of man and how the depravity of man is foundational to all this, that sin originates from within us. So, a lot of the issues that we deal with are from within us. Uh, but there, there's another issue at play here, and, there, and this has been the effect of the self-love, the self-help, and the prosperity kind of movement, the idea that we think that if we're blessed by God, then we are supposed to live a much more comfortable, easy, and happy life. We yeah. should live a life that's full of, um, of joy and, and great experiences and this and that. And certainly, Jesus Christ, when he talked to the disciples, he said, joy I give to you, but not as the, or peace I give to you, but not as the uh, world gives, but as I give. <clears throat> but also, Jesus did say um, that he wants uh, his joy to be complete in us. Well, it's a different kind of joy, and it's a joy that is not dependent upon circumstances. Let, let me say that again, that the peace and joy that we have in God and Jesus Christ should not be dependent on circumstances. Mm -hmm. That's the whole idea of Paul saying in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Because prior to that, he was talking about, I've learned to be content. I've learned the mm -hmm. secret to being content. And so, we understand that as Christians, as we grow more and more, we come to really understand and appreciate that no matter what God brings us through, um, that should not steal away our joy and our peace. And even in Psalm 23, when we read through that psalm, we know that's the most well-known psalm when you go to funeral services, memorial services. But part of Psalm 23 that often gets overlooked, in verse 3, it says, He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And then the very next verse says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Mm. Those two verses, verses 3 and 4, are connected. Walking yeah. the paths of righteousness, sometimes, and I should probably even say oftentimes, it means that we're going to have to walk through these valleys of, of deep, dark dark shadow, yeah. um, where we're going to be surrounded by enemies. But we respond as David did. I fear no evil for you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so, we have to remember that this world that we live in, this is temporal, it is cursed, it is coming to an end, and we are not called to a life of ease and, and just health and wealth. What we are called to is a life of holiness, and when we embrace it and trust in God's sovereignty through that, we can find the true joy and peace that only God can provide. Yeah, and I mean, we're promised that there's going to be suffering, right? 
Um, and, and I think I, I think you said it well, you know, this kind of health, wealth, prosperity has really create I don't think there's been an increase in mental disorders. Okay. I think there's been an, an increase in biblical ignorance. Um, you know, and so the expectation has become for a lot of American Christians, a lot of Western Christians. Um, and I would limit that a lot. You don't see a lot of the quote unquote mental disorders in other parts of the world. Well, why? Well, because they live in suffering constantly. Yeah. Uh, in the West, we've kind of adopted this, you know, yeah, the health, wealth, um, theology that says, you know, if God loves me, if I'm a Christian, nothing should ever go wrong. Well, quite contrary to what scripture itself teaches, right? Um, they persecuted Christ, they'll persecute us. Um, you know, the world loves its own. It's not going to love, you know, those who belong to Christ. I think of Romans 5. I mean, just listen to this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you have been given peace, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I, that touches on one thing, but let me continue on. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, you know, here's the hard part that Western Christianity has forgotten. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so, I mean, there is a very real sense where we're fighting against the very work of God in our lives when we rebel against what could otherwise be suffering that is meant to produce character and hope. Yeah, and and demonstrates God's love in our life. So we shouldn't be caught off guard. Um, and and when we are, it's because again we haven't gone to Scripture. We're not familiar with Scripture. We don't meditate on the Scriptures. And yeah. so, right. um, yeah, I, I, we're we should never be caught off guard with suffering or difficult times. And the Scripture speaks to all of that, right? Amen. Yeah, the more we know the scriptures, the more of a reality check that we get. And I think the further away we get from reality, the more opportunity there is for us to be deeply disappointed in what the world brings. That's the problem with the prosperity gospel, that when you start to buy off on more of these promises, what happens when they don't deliver? Well, you're, you're going to crash. You're going to crash and you're going to burn and, and go into a cycle of depression. And so the Bible provides us with the ultimate reality check. But here's the beauty. Because oftentimes we say reality check, and it usually is a, it's kind of a downer. You know, you, you have great hope in something, and then the reality check kind of brings you back to earth and realizes that you can't have it all. Well, in this case, the reality check is even better. When you have a reality check in the scriptures, you get to know who God is. You get to see the big picture and recognize that we have a hope yeah. in the future that can never be taken away. First Peter 1.13, and I quote this often, set your hope completely upon the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Bible provides the ultimate reality check, which is good. And that's what helps sustain us through those difficult times. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so I I would personally recommend if you're going to see a, a worldly counselor, you know what, stop, go to your church, go to your pastor, if for some reason, you know, they're, they feel inadequate or unable to help, then ask them for a reference. Find a biblical counselor. Um, you, you should be able to find that in your church, right? But, ju- but we don't go to the, the world 
to deal with these issues. Again, I'm not telling you to stop taking your medicine. Uh, you know, if you're on medications, I'm not telling you to stop, you know, taking stuff for your thyroid or your diabetic medication. But I, I but again, and we've acknowledged this, right? I think a great, and, and we know from the field, no arguing, the field just simply attempts to treat, um, you know, symptoms and rather than dealing with the problem. So find a biblical counselor, but I want to leave folks with this. So you say, okay, well, I mean, that's, maybe that makes sense, but I just don't feel, you know, I don't feel joy. I don't feel patience. I don't feel these things. Let, let me leave you with what the scripture says the Holy Spirit produces in the believer, right? And we go to Galatians. And in fact, we did an entire episode, a uh, series on the fruit of the spirit. And, you know, these are all one fruit. You know, we kind of divided them up just to talk about them in the podcast. But the, re- the reality is that you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. And, and so you cannot separate the spiritual world from the physical. But listen to this. This is what you have promised by God working and growing into you uh, as you grow in sanctification and you grow in pursuing God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The world cannot offer you that. Christ has given it already to you. The whole thing about biblical counseling is it constantly points you to the person and work of Christ, because it's only in him that we find true life. It's only through the work of the Holy Spirit that we have access to these things. And, you know, every, it, the vast majority of everything in that DSM, right, is, was just overcome by that verse, um, all of your different types of depressions and whatnot. And so, you know, if you say you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, get into your Bible, get to your elders, um, but look to the only source of life and light, which is God himself, not the world. Amen. Amen and amen. Um, The scriptures are sufficient. They are authoritative. um, They are perfect. And we as believers can trust in them because we have a God who is perfect in his wisdom. He is um, all powerful. He is completely sovereign, completely in control, and he loves those who are in his household. So we can trust him. Amen. Well, thank you guys for listening to us today. I hope that this has been beneficial to you. At the very least, it's caused you to take a step back and to consider um, where your source for truth in life is, especially in these areas. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.